0: I invite you to stand now for a reading from God's Word. Our passage this morning is from 2 Corinthians 2. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are, what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning and we are weak and weary. But Lord, we long not just to survive, but to thrive. We feel like the world is growing old. We're growing old, but you came to make us new. Lord, we need you so much. Come and teach us your word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to 2021, probably the most anticipated new year in recent memory. I know there are people who have had tougher years than 2020, but the world as a whole, collectively, it's hard to imagine the world ever groaning for a new year like we groan for this one. So just imagine being 2021, don't you feel the pressure right now if you're 2021 to deliver something new? But there's a danger when everyone wants something new so badly, there's a danger. Because we just want COVID gone, right? We just want business back. We just want to leave our house and go somewhere, you know, take a trip, even if we're just going to a store. And that's not bad. It makes sense. It's not evil to want our situation to change. But if that's all that we want, it reveals something about us. It's easy to want new circumstances and not really want a new heart. So the question really is, what kind of new do we want this year? And this is why the Apostle Paul is such a good guide for us. If you know Paul's story, you know his life was really difficult, a lot more difficult than 2020. At different times, Paul was mocked. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. And yet, Paul says interesting things. In his life full of problems, he says things like in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You hear that, and you might think, That's strange. That's not really how I approach my difficulties in 2020. But Paul gets stranger. He, he rarely asks the Lord to change his difficult situation. Even when he's in jail, Paul's main prayer is not, Lord, just get me out of here. His main prayer is for his captors to come to know Christ and for the church to be encouraged that Paul is boldly preaching the gospel to the people in jail. So in Philippians 1.12, Paul writes from jail, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Strange, right? Through all the challenges of 2020, could we say that? What has happened to us has really served to advance the gospel. See, Paul's more interested in glorifying the Lord in his circumstances than getting out of his circumstances. So his perspective can be really different from ours. And that's why we need to hear from him at a new year. During this Christmas season, for the last five weeks, we've celebrated that Jesus is Emmanuel. Today, what I want to do is try to unpack this gift of God with us and see that if God is with us, we have everything we need to seek the kind of new that will make this year, 2021, about His glory and not ours. So we're going to focus on three big areas. And the first one is this. Let's consider the message that will frame our lives this year. What will be the central message of our lives in 2021? 2020 was full of messages, and you know them. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. Flatten the curve. Let's meet on Zoom. Now, these were all new messages not very long ago, and they're already old. And these messages have become gospel for many. They, they're helpful to some degree, but you know, they, they can't save us from our sin. They can't change us from the inside out. But these have been sort of the messages of 2020. Beyond the coronavirus messages, there are always these cultural messages in the air. They're the powerful messages that call to us all the time. So children, if you're in school, you might sort of hear the message that you have to be smart, or you have to be beautiful, or you have to be athletic, or you have to be funny, or all those things. And then you grow up and you go to work and it's still kind of those same messages, but now you really got to perform and achieve and make money. Or in the neighborhood that you have to keep up, you have to make everything look like you've got it together. Or in relationships, the message that we have to fit in somehow, find how to belong. All these messages out in the world are about what we have to do, what we have to do to prove ourselves and earn our place, our acceptance. And so what the world does is it repackages these messages all the time, trying to make them sound new. It's the newest product. It's the next relationship. It's the newest whatever. And we're tempted to fall for it. We have these two big oak trees in our front yard, and I sort of love-hate them, because for most of the year, they have these great leaves filling up the trees. They look new. They look alive. And then around November, acorns and leaves. And for weeks and weeks and months, we're still picking up leaves today. And we can pick them up today, and it looks like we didn't do anything tomorrow. And so I'm not bitter. But it's a picture, because when the world offers us new, it's like these trees. It looks new. It looks alive. And then in time, the life dries up, falls off, and we're just left to pick up the pieces. And and kids, you might think about it like when the world offers us new, it's like that Christmas gift. You know, the one you were so excited to get on Christmas Day, and now it's two weeks later, and you're already a little bored. You don't really want to tell your parents, but you're thinking about the next thing. That's new in the world. New grows old in the world pretty fast. If we want a different kind of new, we need a different kind of message. We need the good news of Jesus Christ. This message may not seem brand new to you this morning, but the power and the glory of the gospel are eternally new. Because if new in the world is like our oak trees, then new in Christ is evergreen. Think about that. This is the message that never dries up or grows old. So what's at the heart of this gospel message? In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And these are really the two pillars that we see in 2 Corinthians 5 also. Jesus' love for us and his death for us. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. You know, Christmas is really the beginning of the greatest love story. God became a child so that we might become his beloved children. Jesus is the ultimate gift of love. John says it in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the loving father sent his beloved son and Christ came to love us and give himself for us. Why? So that all who trust in him would be safe and secure in his love now and forever. So has this story, has this message become your story, your message? Is this the message that hushes all those other messages that call out to you? Are you so safe in the love of Christ that you can rejoice no matter what? Like Paul was saying in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always. Even in a year like 2020. Even when you're looking for work. Even when you feel so alone or you're just so exhausted When you're battling cancer, whatever you're facing, are you so confident in the love of Christ and that nothing can separate you from his love? The world defines love by what we feel. So love is very squishy. You can't pin it down. The Bible defines love by who God is and what he's done for us. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. This is love. Jesus died that we might live. But why does his death give us life? Look at verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is just one verse, like two clauses. But in this short verse, we're drawn into the wonder of what Jesus has done for us. And it's through the word substitute think about the word substitute for a minute. Children, have you had a substitute teacher in school? We tend to pick on the substitute, right? Or there's substitute players in sports, and they go in, and we feel like things are going to drop off, right, when the subs go in. And so this is the way it is in the world. You have substitutes, and they're inferior. But in the gospel, Jesus is superior in every way. So when we couldn't pass the test, when we couldn't play the game, The Lord had every right to fail us, kick us off the team. And that's when Jesus appeared as the perfect substitute. And we were perfectly unworthy of that. He shouldn't have gone in for us, right? We didn't deserve that. But Jesus was perfectly willing to do it because he loved us. Everything he did from the manger to his ascension, he did in our place as our substitute. So he obeyed the law. He resisted temptation He loved his enemies. He glorified his Father because we don't do those things. And so Jesus lived the perfect life because we can't. And so he became the perfect sacrifice. And the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be the sacrifice for our sin on the cross. It's a shocking exchange. Who else would set up that kind of deal Jesus took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness. He took what we deserved so that we could enjoy what he deserves. And so he was exposed on the cross so that we would be covered. And he was rejected and forsaken on the cross so that we would be reconciled and accepted into the Father's arms. If we're in Christ, God looks upon us as if we had been perfectly righteous, as if we were Jesus, because he is our substitute. And if you're not in Christ, Jesus invites you even today to trust him as your substitute. You don't have to carry the weight of your sins any longer. You can come to Jesus today. Look to him. Let him take your sin and give you his righteousness. Today, as Paul says is the day of salvation. 2020 2020 felt like a year without much good news. But because of the gospel, there's never a shortage of good news, and it's the only news that never grows old. So this year, when the world invites us to come find life in one of those old, tired places, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Jesus loved me, gave himself for me. I am a child of God, and I want to make my home in Him, So I pray that the gospel will be the central message of our lives this year. If we want that, we're going to need to do some things so that the gospel takes preeminence in our lives. It may mean less noise and more stillness. Maybe less cable news, more good news, less scrolling on our phones and more scripture. But why not? Why not pursue those things and make space for the gospel become primary in our lives because this is the only message that can change our destiny forever and our identity this very day. And that brings us to the second point, which is what kind of men and women are we becoming? Think about the primary message in your life. Well, that's going to shape what you become. So what kind of people do we want to be this year? If you remember 1 Samuel 16, Saul has failed as king. Samuel's looking for the the next replacement for Saul. And so Samuel goes to check out Jesse's family and his sons. And he sees one of the sons, and this son looks the part. He's got all the measurables. David's not even there at the time. And the Lord said to Samuel, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. As we begin a new year, it's a good question for us. Are we looking on the outward appearance? Or are we looking on the heart? Are we content this year to be people who just eat a little better or exercise a little more, make a little more money, do a little bit of this, do a little less of that? You know, if that's the kind of new that we want, we can have that. Just to varying degrees, we can do those things, but they don't really get to the heart. But if the gospel is the message of our lives, it brings God's power to change us. Jesus is such a bright light that no one can truly see him and remain the same. Just ask the shepherds who saw the light in Luke 2, or ask Paul himself who was blinded by the light in Acts 9. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Paul says is incredible, and probably more than we realize, because in the Greek, the passage basically says, if anyone in Christ, a new creation. In other words, if anyone's a Christian, the new creation has come. The new humanity has arrived. God is making all things new. So we're talking about a cosmic event, the new creation that has personal implications. I can be a new creation. It's like saying, if anyone's on the dance floor, the wedding reception has begun. If anyone's in Christ, God's great party has begun. And if you're part of that, wouldn't that change everything? It's always fascinating to me to hear what non-Christians say about Jesus. I found this quotation from a French philosopher named Roger Garotti. And it's fascinating to me as someone who doesn't know much about Christ, to hear what he says. He writes, I do not know much about this man, but I do know that his whole life conveys this one message. Anyone at any moment can start a new future. Isn't that beautiful? From an outsider that they would see Jesus' whole life conveys this message. Anyone at any moment can start a new future. There's probably a lot of us today who would love to start a new future, whether we're Christians or not. Turn to Christ. He will make us a new creation. From the inside out, he will remake us in his glorious image. So what does that look like, to be a new creation? Paul gives us several clues. The first is in verse 15. Look with me. He says, after talking about the love of Christ controlling us and Christ dying for us, he says, Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In three words, Paul sums up the sinner's motivation. Live for themselves. Sin is selfishness. We never had to learn how to live for ourselves. As soon as we were born, we were experts at that. So we didn't have to teach our boys Will 7, John's 4. We didn't have to teach them how to be selfish. We have to teach them how to be thoughtful. A month ago, we were at this family birthday party and All the kids, the cousins, are just consumed with uh, cake and ice cream and gifts. And I can't find Will. And so I look around, and there's Will in the backyard. And he's picking up the backyard. He's picking up toys. He's taking things back to the garage by himself. And no one asked him to do it. And you better believe I encouraged him that night (laughs) for a day. That was so amazing when you did that. Because it was beautiful because he wasn't living for himself. He was thinking about others. And sadly, we live in a world where that's the exception, and selfishness is the rule. The world's messages are attractive because they appeal to our selfishness. You know, we're focused on ourselves, and the world is selling us more of us, and so we buy it. But it never really satisfies. Even when we ace the test, or we close the deal, or we get the house, or the relationship, we win the championship, it's not enough. It's like we weren't made to live for ourselves. But then again, we can't really help it. So Paul drops the bomb. This is why Jesus died. That we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. This is the power of the gospel. It frees us from us so that we can live for him. It knocks us off the throne and puts Jesus there where he belongs. And so Jesus begins to become so glorious that we don't really want our glory anymore. And the love of Christ, his love for us, not the love of self, our love for ourself, starts to control us. So this obviously changes the way we see the Lord, but it also changes the way we see others. If you look at verse 16, Paul writes, So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This is Paul's version of 1 Samuel 16. Looking on the surface verse the heart. It's deeply personal for Paul, because before he got a new name, he was Saul, and he was trying to destroy the church. He looked at Jesus, he heard about Jesus, and he wasn't impressed. Jesus was just another failed Messiah who needed to be stopped, because Paul looked at Jesus according to the flesh. And you may not be antagonistic toward Jesus like Saul, but you can still regard him according to the flesh. You don't see him for who he is. You don't give him glory as he deserves, and you judge him by worldly standards. You're not impressed. And so you miss him, and you reject him. What's interesting is Paul experienced something similar from the Corinthians. They weren't impressed with him. His appearance, his speaking, his vocation, working with his hands, his suffering, they weren't feeling it. And so Paul found himself in the awkward position of trying to defend himself. You see a little bit of that in verses 11 through 13. The Corinthians questioned his authority because he didn't have the credentials the world values. He wasn't impressive according to the flesh, he just had God's calling. We're wired to regard one another according to the flesh. We did it to Jesus, Paul says. We did it to Paul, and we do it to one another. We treat each other according to appearance or position or resources or personality. But if we're new creations in Christ, Paul says we can't do this any longer. Because focusing on the outward appearances leads us to miss the main thing about every person, which is we're God's image bearers with dignity and value. We're more alike than we are different. We're alike in being image bearers, and we're alike in being desperate for a Savior. And if we're in Christ, we share the deepest connection, no matter what we look like on the outside. So how different would the world be if we honored the image of God in one another? So you think about all the tension in the world right now. It looks like a huge obstacle, but it actually gives us a great opportunity because if we as the church love people, not because of appearance or politics or school or neighborhood or career or whatever, if we love people simply because they're made in God's image, then we will shine like stars in the country on a dark night. So what kind of men and women do we want to be this year? The Lord's plans are bigger so much bigger than just giving us new circumstances. He wants to make us new creations. And this sets up our last point, which is mission. We said that we're going to have a central message in our lives. That's going to shape who we become. And who we're becoming, of course, shapes our mission. So if the message is a selfish one, if we're living for ourselves, we will grow up into that message, and our mission in life will be about us. But if our message really is the gospel, we will be growing up in Christ and our mission will more and more be about Jesus. In verses 18 through 20, Paul says so much. And first he reminds us that all this new is God's doing and not our own. So as we start a new year, we're dependent. God is the one who makes things new. We can't force this, but this is what he's doing. What has he done for us? If you see those verses, through Christ, he's reconciled us to himself. We were his enemies, and he has turned us into his friends. He no longer counts our sins against us. Sometimes you think God is keeping score. In Psalm 103, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. If this were the end of the story, it would be enough for us to sing forever. But God hasn't just done this for us. He's actually given something to us. So what has he given us? Look at verse 18. He reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul basically says it again in verse 19. He was reconciling the world to himself and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So if we've responded to the message, we're now messengers. And if we've been reconciled, we're now part of the ministry of reconciliation. No Christian is a spectator in the work of redemption. We are participants. We have a new mission. Verse 20, therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And isn't ambassadors the perfect word for our mission? Because ambassadors don't have their own message. They're just carrying the message of the king. And ambassadors don't live for themselves. They're living for the king and his kingdom. In Paul's world, it was probably more like the ruler of a smaller region would send his ambassadors to the mighty king or emperor and just hope that we could find favor and get something that we want. But in our situation, we already have the favor of the king of kings. And now he's sending us as ambassadors to the world with that joyful news of Christ. And God is making his appeal through us, through us. If you were God, would you want us to be the mouthpiece? I mean, what? God, do it yourself. No. He wants us to be involved in the work. So we don't have our own message. We're just carrying the greatest message in history, and we don't live for ourselves. We're living for Him, and we don't even have our own power. He's filled us with His Spirit to give us the power. Now, we don't have to stop what we're doing necessarily to be ambassadors for Christ. A lot of times we think that, oh, now I've got to quit this and go do this. And that may be the case sometimes. But for the most part, it's just about the Lord opening our eyes to see in those places where he's put me, in those places where he's called me, that's where I get the joy of being an ambassador. At home, in our neighborhood, in my school, at the office, at the gym, at the store. That's where we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. I've heard so many stories recently of how you're reaching out to your neighbors. The pandemic obviously has given us a chance to know the people around us, sometimes just because we're stuck with them. (laughs) But this is exactly what we should have been doing all along. You know, knowing and loving our neighbors and being an ambassador for Christ. God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and we get to invite people to come. We can't save anyone. We can't control how they're going to respond, but we can pray for them. We can get to know them, we can tell them about Jesus, and in love we can implore them to this most important thing, to be reconciled to God. So often we look around at the world and we're tempted by it. We're tempted by what we see, we want what the world is offering us, but what if we looked at the world and the Lord began to break our hearts? Because what we see is a lot of empty messages and a lot of empty people on an empty mission. And obviously there's so many needs, but every person's greatest need is to be reconciled to God. And then when we're right with God, what's amazing is now we have the resources to begin doing what we need so much in the world, pursuing reconciliation with one another. And that's true because if you've been reconciled with God, you, you know how to love and forgive because the Lord has loved and forgiven you. church, just real talk, considering the state of the world right now, we have a lot of work to do. And we should be leading the way, not sitting sitting by the sidelines. (laughs) Who else has a message that turns enemies into friends? So every member of our church should know the joy of extending the love of Christ. And that's children all the way up. So where is the Lord calling you to be an ambassador for Christ right now? Whom can you reach that no one else can reach? Where's the Lord placed you where no one else is? Many people have called this season the Great Reset, but I wonder as a church and as individuals, have we really been reset? Sure, we've been frustrated. We've been forced to slow down. We're not out of the woods yet, unfortunately. But as Tommy was praying, have we learned what the Lord wants to teach us in this hard season? Have we really humbled ourselves and cried out to him, say, Lord, what are you doing? Your will, not mine. Do we really want Jesus, or do we just want new circumstances? I think we need a lot more than for things to go back to normal. We need the kind of new that only the Lord can provide. The pandemic obviously is growing old, but the Lord wants to make us new. And the world is always growing old, But the Lord is always making all things new. So he has given us everything we need. We have a different message. It makes us different people. And then we have a different mission. So no matter what comes this year, God will be with us. That's what we've been preaching over this Christmas season. He is Emmanuel. He will be with us. And he wants us to embrace all that we have in him. And think about it. We have all these things now. Now we have the gospel. Now we are new creations. Now we live for him. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. And as Paul says, now is the day of salvation. So may we not receive the grace of God in vain. No, may his grace make us new this year. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the birth, life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray today for those who are not in Christ, Lord, that today might be the day of salvation for them. We pray that they would come to to rest in your love and be covered in your righteousness. Lord, we also pray for those who are in Christ this morning. Lord, we are new creations. Help us to see and love like you do. And we are your ambassadors. We pray that you would help us to spread your joyful news wherever we go. Lord, as we start a new year, we know that in you we have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a prince of peace, an everlasting father, and we cling to the promise that you will be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.